Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I did not come here to make a cabinet for the ladies of this place, but for the nation. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In a moment, we'll bring you Edward Arnold as the man in the White House. Many years ago, the president sat in a ladder-backed, cane-bottomed chair and read reports written by young men whose wages he paid out of his own pocket. No telephones plagued him, and he could come and go as he pleased. Today, the president sits in an air-conditioned office, surrounded by telephones, dictating into a wire recorder. From the ladder-backed chair to air conditioning, from then to now, many presidents have lived in the White House. Men of differing personalities, temperaments, and talents. Our Mr. President's job is to play them all, and he's done it. Yes, Edward Arnold has become the man in the White House. On the street, in stores, he's greeted with, Hello, Mr. President, we like the show, and we know you'll like it too. So here is Edward Arnold in today's story of Mr. President. <laughs> I have in mind today tell the story of a president at one of the most unusual set of circumstances that ever took place in Washington. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this happened to. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. 
The president sat by our bedside, his anxious eyes never leaving a face. He knew. Oh, yes, he knew. Darling, I'm so proud of you. So very proud, Mr. President. Oh, Rachel, Rachel. It is better this way. I'd never fit in the White House like the long way from the Hermitage to the White House. They're right about that. Who's right about that? Who's right? I'm saying I'd attend your inauguration smoking a corn cob pipe. Did you know that? Oh, no, no. They've been saying terrible things about you and me, my dear. They, they? Who, who is this mysterious they? The ladies of Washington. The people who would have to receive me in their homes as the wife of the president. The people who would never receive me. Do you think I'd go any place that you are not welcome? They said I'd be a humiliation to you a disgrace to the entire country when I went into the White House. I heard... It doesn't matter what you heard, my dear. You're my wife. I love you. I'm proud of you. I want you beside me when I take the oath. I'll be there. I'll be there in my own way. You're going to Washington with me. You can't die. I won't let you die. I won't let you die. Don't be unhappy. It's God's will, dear. I love you, Mr. President. Rachel. Oh, Rachel, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Are you all right, sir? The doctor's on his way. John, she's... She's... It's too late. Oh. I'm sorry, sir. Oh, Rachel, my wife, listen to me. It isn't true. You belong to me. My wife... My wife, I failed you so you... You'd be alive if it weren't for me. Don't, sir. You did everything possible. She wasn't well. Her own lack of strength caused oh, her death. Don't you think it, John. Don't you think it for a moment. My wife died because I was elected president of the United States. <laughs> John is entertaining them. He asked me to come find you. Oh, I was just sitting here by a grave. It's cool out here. Yes, she loved a night like this. She'd bundle up and hike for miles across this countryside. And then she'd come back glowing. Maybe other people didn't think she was beautiful. I don't know. To me, she was the most glorious woman that ever lived. She was lovely. <clears throat> Peggy, are you going to marry John? I... I don't know. He wants to marry you. Peggy John Eaton's one of my closest friends. He stood by me like a rock all through this campaign. There isn't a finer, more loyal man in the world than John Eaton. I know. But there's his career to think of. What does his career have to do with his marrying you? Oh, there's been so much talk about us already. Talk, talk? What kind of talk? John was one of my husband's best friends, Naturally, when Mr. Timberlake was away at sea, John would come to call and, and see that my daughters and I were getting on all right. All of Washington made the most of that. 
Now, since my husband's death, it, there's been more and more talk about John Eaton and me. I, I've told him repeatedly he shouldn't even call, but... Oh, talk, talk, slander, gossip, rumors. How many lives are these wagging tongues going to be allowed to ruin? How many more are they going to be permitted to murder? Peggy, believe me, the most successful career in politics is no recompense for, uh, at all for losing the woman one loves. You saw what gossip did to Rachel and me. John stuck by me all through that. Don't let it wreck your life and his too. Don't worry about his career in Washington. I'll take care of that. Well, Peggy, what do you say? What can I say but yes and thank you, Mr. President. Speak up, speak up. Well, General, it's uh, not easy to tell you, sir, but uh, the Tennessee delegation has appointed me spokesman, and uh, was something they felt ought to be taken up before any announcements went out. And uh, after all, your inauguration is so close, and announcements will be going out. My uh, dear Colonel, I wish uh, you would state your business and stop all this hemming and hawing. Oh, well, well, sir, the, the fact is the, the Tennessee delegation and a good many other people in Washington feel that, uh, that uh, it'd be most... Uh, most gratifying to them if uh, you could see your way clear to grant and... May I have that glass of water, please? Well, of course you could have a glass of water, Colonel. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, you didn't have to go to all that trouble to get a glass of water, Colonel. Uh, well, it wasn't a glass of water I come about, sir. The people wanted me to ask you if you'd consider if it'd be all right if... if uh, it's all right to sit down, sir. Why, oh, I, I should say so. The people can sit down whenever they want to sit down, sir. Oh, no. Well, that isn't what I meant, sir. Oh. I just wanted to sit down because my knees... They what? ...don't seem to be all they should be today. Oh. Well, why don't you see a doctor, Colonel? Oh, it isn't anything serious. Sir. My knees get this way every once in a while. Oh, well, yeah. I'm not inferring you should see a doctor about your knees, Colonel. Just about your cold feet. <laughs> it's very funny, sir. Oh, now, come out with it, man. What did you come to see me about? Well, sir... The Tennessee delegation would like to suggest, sir, that you... You see, there are certain rumors to the fact that he's to be included, and they would like to respectfully suggest that he's excluded from your cabinet. Who? Mr. Eaton, sir. And just what does the Tennessee delegation find wrong with Mr. Eaton? Well, as a matter of fact, sir, there's no actual drawback to Mr. Eaton's presence. The drawback is entirely Mrs. Eaton. Mrs. Eaton? Uh, sir, I am warning you... Mrs. Eaton would never be accepted into Washington. Why, even ignoring the presence of any scandal, her background's hardly much of a recommendation. Her father is an Irish innkeeper. And my mother was an Irish housekeeper. Uh, my mother had to work in someone else's house to support us. I never realized that was a drawback in America. Shall I speak openly, sir? Say anything you've got to say. Uh, Mrs. Eaton was seen far too often in the company of Mr. Eaton while her former husband was alive to make her acceptable to the ladies in Washington. Is a woman not permitted to have a man as a friend without other women suspecting the worst? Sir, I am forced to tell you that Mrs. Eaton will not be received in any official homes in Washington, and none of the ladies will call on her. Well, Colonel, you may tell the ladies that I am not picking a cabinet for their personal pleasure. I am picking a cabinet to run the country. I've never asked a woman yet how to run a campaign, and I'm a little too old to start learning new tricks. Well, I warn you, sir... This may turn into a battle. Good. I like battles, Colonel. And if you care to read a little American history, you'll see that I know how to win them, too. 
John Eaton will be my Secretary of War. I declare I haven't listened to such wit in months. I'm sure this is the gayest inauguration party the White House has ever seen. And I'm sure you're the most beautiful woman that has ever graced a White House party, Mrs. Eaton. <laughs> He's right about that, darling. Oh, now stop, both of you. You'll turn my head so far, I'll never get it back to normal. <laughs> well, this is a merry little group. Oh, good evening, Mr. President. Congratulations. Thank you, my dear. Are you enjoying yourself? Oh, heavens, yes. I've been cut dead by some of the best people in Washington tonight. Only by the ladies, darling, not by the men. Don't let it disturb you, my dear. Disturb me, Mr. President? <laughs> I love a good fracas just as much as you do. These languishing blue bloods will find out what it is to do battle with some red-blooded people. <laughs> Hello, Irish. <laughs> Hello, Irish yourself. Uh, we'll show them. We'll show them. Incidentally, Peggy, have you talked with my niece, Emily, tonight? Uh, no, but she's been busy with a party this size on her hands. Emily should make a charming first lady for you, Mr. President. Yes, I'm very fond of Emily. My nephew made a good match when she accepted him. Mrs. Eaton, I'm going to give a ball in a few weeks. And since I'm a bachelor, I wonder if you'd help me plan it. Oh, Mr. Van Buren, you're very kind, and I do appreciate the invitation. But you're choosing a most unpopular hostess. It's customary, Mrs. Eaton, during any sort of contest, for a man to choose his side. So, will you do me the honor? In that case, thank you, Mr. Van Buren. I shall be most honored. Thank you, Martin. That's a very nice gesture on your part. It isn't a gesture, Mr. President. It's a pleasure. Uh, will you excuse me a moment? I, I want to speak to Emily. Of course, Mr. President. How do you do? Oh, How are you? It's nice to see you. <laughs> oh, uh, Emily. Oh, I wonder where you disappeared to, Mr. President. Emily, have you spoken to Mrs. Eaton this evening? No, I haven't. Do you intend to? No. And why not? Have you any idea of the things that are said about her? You surely wouldn't expect me to recognize a woman of her reputation. Mrs. Eaton is one of my close friends, Emily. If you and my nephew wish to remain in the White House, I expect my friends to be treated with courtesy. If you don't care to do that, then you'd better think about returning home to Tennessee. I'll return to Tennessee before I'll associate with Mrs. Eaton. That, of course, is up to you. You don't mean that. You wouldn't turn down your own family for a woman like that. I expect loyalty from my family as well as my friends. Good night, Emily. Oh, Martin, uh, may I speak to you a moment, please? Of course, sir. Uh, here in this room. Martin, I've been thinking a lot about Peggy's position and John's here in Washington. Have any of the ladies returned her calls? Not many, Mr. President. Which of the cabinet members' wives are against her? Mrs. Branch, Mrs. Ingham, Mrs. Berrien. Martin, what can we do? How can we combat this? Well, sir, I can see that Mrs. Eaton is accepted by some of the prominent foreign ministers, Sir Charles Vaughan, Baron Crudener. That will help. Well, if I don't accomplish anything else in my time in office, I'll solve this Eaton affair. I'm doing something about all the gossip, at any rate. What are you doing, sir? I've sent out detectives to track down every single private piece of scandal. Every rumor, every insinuation, every innuendo. Each one is going to be tracked to its source and proven or disproven. I've put the best detectives in the country on it. But do you think that will do any good, Mr. Burton? It certainly will. When I have the reports back from the detectives, I'm going to call a cabinet meeting. A cabinet meeting about Peggy Eden? Yes, sir. I'm going to treat this whole issue as a national problem. But, sir... We're going to have a cabinet meeting about Peggy's character. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have called this meeting for the purpose of discussing the character of Mrs. John Eaton. There are certain individuals who have taken upon themselves to pass on various comments about her. I have examined every one of those comments, tracked them to their source, and had affidavits taken from the people interviewed. I have here some 90-odd pages on Mrs. Eaton. You will find, after study of this document, that she is above reproach. Now mark this, and mark it well. An indignity to Major Eaton is an indignity to me. If you are not prepared to work in harmony with him, I am prepared to accept your resignations. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. May I mention a few places to you? Listen a moment to these names. Casserine Pass, Midway, Salerno, Guadalcanal, Casino, Hollandia, Normandy, Leyte, Iwo Jima. You're proud of the meaning of those names. Prouder still of the men of the Army, Air Force, and Marines, and Navy who made those names immortal. And you know there's a great pride, too, for the civilian who recognizes that our armed forces are the healthiest, best clothed, best fed, best cared for military force in the world. And simply because we, the tax-paying citizens, refuse to have it any other way. And when we're proud of our country, it follows, quite simply, that we are proud of the men who serve it so well, at all times, in so many strange and distant places. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. guess who the president was when all this happened. It really did happen, you know, in Washington just a few years ago. The gentlemen of the cabinet protested their innocence. They were the last people in the world who would want to harm Major Eaton and his family. They did not accept the invitation to resign, and the president walked out satisfied that he had solved the Peggy Eaton problem. But the war was far from won. Do you mean to sit there and tell me that he actually suggested that the cabinet resign? That's exactly what I mean to sit here and tell you. Ugh. Oh, that Eaton woman. She's upset the entire cabinet. I told you almost two years ago about her, didn't I? Yeah. And on the whole, I really wish you hadn't. Eaton and Van Buren are the only members of the cabinet that seem to have the president's confidence. I think it's a perfect disgrace the way Van Buren has taken up with Mrs. Eaton. And we ladies intend to do something about him, too. Don't you think for a moment we don't? Why don't you ladies content yourself with just being ladies for a change? Huh? Peggy Eaton's presence in Washington's social life is an insult to every gentlewoman in Washington. We do not intend to rest until both Martin Van Buren and John Eaton have resigned. And that woman has left this town. Oh. Are you going to let her leave? I thought you were going to have her burned at the stake. Well, really? Now, look. The old man feels pretty strongly about this Eaton business. Why don't you forget about it before you get me painted into a corner where I'll either have to resign or be fired. The president has made it perfectly clear he can get along without anyone who doesn't like Eaton. Ah, that's only a bluff. Eaton and Van Buren will go. We cabinet ladies have been having meetings about it. You'll see. The president will soon find out which way the wind blows. Well, that Mrs. Eaton really is a stunning-looking woman. <gasps> you too? If you're about to say Brutus, I wish I had the courage. 
Yes, Mr. President. I'm having a cabinet dinner next week, and I want Peggy in the seat of honor at my right. But, Mr. President, that's going pretty far. Do you think that... I am the President of the United States, Mr. Eaton, and while I am the President of the United States, I will choose who sits at my right hand. And if they want to impeach me for it, let them try it. Is Peggy all right, Martin? Yes, she's over there talking to the foreign minister. Oh, yes. Well, it was a good dinner, wasn't it? Did you see the expressions on those old crows when I led Peggy in? We'll see who's boss around this town now. Oh, uh, Mr. President, my husband has gone to get my wraps. We're leaving. Oh, really? Well, I hope you had a pleasant evening. Excuse me, won't you? Good night. Oh. Mr. Van Buren, I'm amazed to see a man in the White House who cares so little for public opinion. And I'm astounded to see you and Mr. Eaton, who profess to be friends of the president, permitting him to commit political suicide by his association with the two of you. My dear woman, you're speaking to me as though I were a child. My dear Mr. Van Buren, I am, and you are. I suggest you take a little pains to find out just what people are saying about you and Mrs. Eaton. And the president and Mrs. Eaton. Sorry to tell you this, Mr. President, but it is what people are saying, and it is best that you know. They actually have the gall to suggest that I, that Mrs. Eaton and I... Yes, Mr. President. Is there no limit to the lies that they will fabricate and spread? If there is none, how far do you intend to carry this one? I'll Mr. carry it until I win it, sir. Even though it is the end of my political career and the end of my administration. I'll not give up. But, Mr. President, when people become a liability rather than an asset, no matter how much you like them, there is only one answer. Well, I know who the liabilities are, Mr. Van Buren. I wonder if you do, sir. I wonder if you do. sitting here alone in the dark? Oh, thinking, John. What about, darling? About what a crazy world it is. Mm-hmm. I, um, I heard a story from one of the maids today about, well, about... About the president and you. Yes. I hoped you wouldn't hear it. Oh, John, we've got to do something. We can't let him sacrifice himself any further. This conflict can't be won. I realize that now. The president's quite a man for a fight. This isn't a man's fight, John. No man can win it. And I realize now that no woman can win it either. Oh, I should never have married you. Don't say that. I found all the happiness a man could hope to find with a woman, with you. I'd rather have you than be a cabinet member. Well then, John. Yes, Peggy. Yes. <laughs> both look tired this evening. Well, uh, it's been a hard day. Yes, Washington, certainly a divided camp these days, and Peggy and I seem to be the ones that have split it. And I seem to have become something of a controversy myself. Uh, Mr. President, I've been thinking things over very carefully, 
And I've come to the conclusion that I should resign from your cabinet. No, Martin, no. You know me very little if you think I will ever consent to the humiliation of a friend by my enemies. I'm the one who's going to resign, not you, Martin. John, I... Mr. President, it's the only solution. Peggy and I have talked it over and... I won't hear of it. It's a complete admission of defeat on all your parts. Something bigger is at stake than admission of defeat, Mr. President. The reputation of a president, even the reputation of a country. For while you're in office, your reputation is the government's reputation. Uh, it's difficult for an old soldier to lay down a sword, even when confronted with such irrefutable logic. I've brought with me a letter of resignation. I have a letter of resignation with me also, Mr. President. Well, you don't leave me much choice, do you? It's the only way, sir. If you go, I'll be hanged whether any of the rest of them will stay. Tomorrow, I'm going to ask the resignation of everyone else in the cabinet. They've succeeded in scuttling the ship of state, and they're going right down with her. They may have won the battle, but they've lost the war. Well, John, I shall hope to give myself the privilege of calling on Peggy in a day or two, if we can arrange a time when the busybodies won't be at the keyholes. tell you how very sorry I am about all that's happened. Oh, don't blame yourself, Peggy. Circumstances were against you. Of all the small, petty gossip that has surrounded you, not one thing has been proved to your discredit. But I've hurt everyone who's tried to defend me. My husband, you, Mr. Van Buren... Oh, now, 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 don't feel that way. Your husband is very happy indeed to be... to be your husband. And this will not hurt his career. You know, I have a good position in mind for him in the future. Hmm? An overseas post. Oh, thank you for that, sir. As for myself, you didn't hurt me because, Peggy, as much as I like and admire you, I I wasn't really fighting for you as much as I was fighting for her. I know that. But it doesn't make me any the less grateful. And as for Martin Van Buren, well, Peggy, I'm sending him overseas to be our minister to England and be... Of course, he became your champion. Martin Van Buren may one day be the president of the United States. But when he became your champion, I became his. Mr. President, I... I don't quite know what to say, except I... I love you very much. I return the compliment, Mrs. Eating, to both you and your husband. We can't be friends anymore, you know, Mr. President, not publicly. As long as John and I are in Washington... We can't be friends. You know, one of these days, when I'm no longer president, we'll all be close again because in our hearts, my dear, we, we three will be friends as long as we live. Yes, of course we will. But until that time, goodbye, Mr. President. Goodbye, Mrs. Eden. <laughs> You've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Sweeping throughout the length and breadth of America comes the music that has gradually become a part of our country. Songs that have been carried on from one generation to another, telling of the growth of America and reflecting other countries. The music that sings of America is an alive, vibrant kind. And you'll hear this same music on ABC's Sunday evening program, Carnegie Hall. This evening, the great tenor, Loritz Melchior, will be the guest on Carnegie Hall. 
Gene Hamilton introduces and acts as commentator on each Carnegie Hall broadcast. So be sure to hear Lawrence Melchior with Dr. Frank Black conducting the concert orchestra on Carnegie Hall. On the air this evening over most ABC stations. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. Washington, who thought you would be easy to manage, should have remembered that nickname of yours, Old Hickory. Are you inferring I'm stubborn, Mr. Van Buren? Stubborn? Ho, ho. Mr. Van Buren. I just wish you could live to read what history will have to say about that stubbornness and about that period in American history when the President of the United States was Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, who called a cabinet meeting to defend the reputation of Peggy Eaton, and who dismissed the entire cabinet save one, when John Eaton and Martin Van Buren felt it was necessary to resign. But years later, when old Hickory was no longer president, they were indeed reunited, and Peggy Eaton was beside him when he died. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another exciting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Goodbye. appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and can currently be seen in Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Technicolor musical Take Me Out to the Ball Game, starring Frank Sinatra, Esther Williams, and Gene Kelly. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by William T. Johnson. Today's story by Gene Holloway was based on incidents in the life of President Andrew Jackson. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.